Welcome Organic Matrix members and today is a special day. We get to speak with Dr. Michelle Gordon. This episode is going to serve the people who are afraid to change careers and those who are going through burnout and those who feel trapped by the expectations of those around them, like mentors and parents. Many people feel trapped working a job that they have no passion for. How can we take steps to break free from these expectations that influence us growing up? After this episode, you'll feel more confident about chasing your passion and launching your life. Dr. Gordon ran a multi-million dollar surgical practice from 2005 to 2020 and grew it to five surgeons. She was burnt out from many sleepless nights and the overall lack of empathy for doctors by the corporate medicine. All the overnight calls, lack of sleep, and generalized discontent with medicine led to severe overwhelm and burnout. Her life as she knew it was no longer sustainable, and then COVID hit. She walked away from her successful practice to recover from burnout and overwhelm. She discovered suffering is optional and it's possible to heal from burnout quickly with the right tools. Dr. Gordon is also the host of podcast Launch Your Life. It's the only mindset podcast that provides weekly actionable insights for lasting happiness and change for high achieving professionals who are ready to bounce back from burnout. Now she's pivoting into a newer and more encompassing mission to provide weekly actionable insights for lasting happiness and change for high achieving professionals who are ready to bounce back from burnout. Welcome, Dr. Gordon. Thanks so much for having me. I'm, I'm really happy to be here. It's an absolute honor, and it's a privilege to meet you. Where are you from? So, well, that's, that's such a loaded question because I've lived uh, on both coasts. I grew up in Washington State, uh, southeastern Washington State, in a small town called Richland. And if you want to know more about it, just go and listen to episode 161 of my podcast. The Launch Your Life podcast, because um, I talk about the history, which is fascinating. And um, when I was 20-ish, I moved to California, lived in California for 16 years, went to medical school and college there. And then I started moving across the country while I was doing my training. So I was in Chicago for a year and then I moved to New York and I've been in New York since 2001. What is the differences that you see living in New York City and then coming from Washington? Well, first of all, I don't live in the city. I live in the suburbs. I live, but I'm only about an hour away from the city. So it's still pretty city-like. Um, so I grew up in a, a really small farming town in Washington state. And it's not so small now, but it was also a think tank. And so there's a really high uh, education expectation in that town, but things aren't, it, it's just really different because people in New York are really jaded and it's, it, you know, and, and people on the West coast are much more caring. And I think that that, and it's not that people in New York don't care because they do, but it's just a different type of caring. And then the topography. Uh, for me, it's so difficult, especially especially in the winter when uh, even though even though there's no leaves on the trees, you just can't see anywhere. I mean, I come from the desert, and so I'm used to seeing miles and miles and miles. And here in New York, you just don't, you know, the Northeast, you just don't see that. And so it's it's been a challenge. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm born and raised, grew up in New York, so I could I could agree to your statements. I <laughs> I much love life in the South or away from the smog. <laughs> How is it like building a multi-million dollar surgical practice? You know, it was really interesting building that practice. As I, as I started to grow it, I, you know, obviously hired surgeons. And the big discovery for me was that I did not like leading surgeons. I found that, well, surgeons, surgeons have to be competent, right? Um, not only are they opening your body and fixing you, but they also have to have a lot of confidence. And sometimes that confidence is translates into arrogance and the unwillingness to follow uh, the leader. And so it, it was really, really hard to lead surgeons and I hated it. <laughs> And so as I started to realize this, um, it was it would made it easier to kind of wind down. And I mean, some some people always are easier to lead than others. But um, when when you're an employee, you kind of have to do what the boss says. And, and a lot of surgeons have a hard time being employees. How did you find the surgeons that you worked with? Oh, I advertised. It was, you know, sometimes I used a headhunter and sometimes I just advertised and word of mouth and that sort of thing. That's amazing. So you had like your own private practice and you gathered all your people yeah. on your own. That's incredible. Yep. What inspired you to go from being a, a surgeon solo practice to opening up 
a practice with multiple surgeons. My goal was to really leverage my time. I wanted to replace myself in the practice and that proved harder than I thought it would be because there was a lot of resentment from the other surgeons because I was trying to really remove myself and become more um, ac not academic but more administrative mm -hmm. and there was there was a lot of resentment from the other surgeons about that and that and I don't know if it was just like not clear communication I mean I don't know now uh, it doesn't matter because I closed the practice. <laughs> I, I recently had an experience of starting a business. It, it didn't like last too long because it, there's a lot that goes into it that it's hard to see from the outside looking in. And yeah, I experienced a lot of like being like 25 and then having like the people I was working with working under me that were the same age. They were like, I felt like they thought they could do what I was doing better. Yeah, I, I, I think that for me it was... You know, the, the burden when you have a big team or when you have, you know, professionals working for you is sometimes the, it was scary because, you know, I had to make payroll. Mm -hmm. And and as as Obamacare came and then uh, surprise bill laws and, and medicine really changed, uh, getting the money in became more and more of a burden. And in fact, I'm still owed millions of dollars by healthcare and health insurance companies that, you know, I'm still in the practice pro process of trying to get five years later. So it, it, the, the, the system in America is built to not pay doctors. It's built to collect premiums and not pay them out. I'm really grateful that you can tell us how it looks like to be a doctor. Yeah, so I would love to, you know, break down how you were able to step away from something like you invested so much time in. Yeah. So uh, one thing that I talk about on my podcast is how how I made created this belief that I needed to become a doctor. And what happened was my mom when I was a little kid was talking about her two brothers who were doctors and because as children, we, we want to make sense of things we hear. What I did was um, I heard my mom say they're doctors, they're rich. That that was really the, the thing. And my mom really valued wealth. It was really important to her. And so I kind of adopted that and thought, you know, I want to make my mom happy. And I built this belief that the only way I could make money was to be a doctor. And that program ran in my subconscious probably until the end of 2018 when I uncovered it. And I realized that it was, you know, kind of bullshit. And it, you know, making money isn't just related to being a doctor. There's lots of ways to make money. And so as I undid that belief, I started to really look at my life as a doctor and how, you know, while I was really good at it, it wasn't really aligned with who I wanted to be. And that's how I started planting the seed to be able and started making kind of, you know, plans to get out of medicine. So it was a couple year process to get out of medicine, but COVID was enough. Because mm. <laughs> I'm in New York and in New York, we, nobody was surviving. It was, and, and then it wasn't just, it wasn't just the fact that people weren't surviving, which is demoralizing, but it was the way the hospitals treated us and, you know, really just locked us out in, in a lot of ways. You know, it wasn't like they trusted the doctors to not, you know, come in with COVID, you know, they, they, they closed a bunch of entrances and, you know, made you check your temperature. And, and it was just, I just wasn't going to live like that. Yeah. It was, it, it was very, it seems to be very unfair on both sides because being on the patient side, you know, I see one story, but I have a lot of friends that are nurses and people who are on the forefront in the hospitals in the city. And also what was crazy is I was able to see my mom's text messages see like her data to see what her experience was like before she was unable to speak and it was it was mayhem you have nurses and doctors working ungodly shifts like getting no break how can we expect our health care providers to give us this, the best care if they have no rest well that's that's true and that that is you know doctors are it's not just that i mean the way that there's a double standard, I mean, between the way that um, administration looks at nurses versus doctors, doctors are expected to work for free. Nurses are expected to work for pay. Um, they don't pay doctors by the hour. I mean, it was just it was really interesting to see how they expected doctors to volunteer their time, but they were paying nurses 
you know, bonuses of up to $10,000. And, and it's just a double standard. Mm-hmm. And, and not, not to say that nurses aren't worth it because they are. Um, but, you know, we go through a lot more education and the, the, the cheapening of the word doctor uh, to provider and all of these, um, all of these ways that, that the, the doctor moniker has just been devalued over the years by insurance companies, by administration, you know, and for every, in every hospital and healthcare system now, there's about five administrators for each doctor. I mean, why? (laughs) Yeah. And I also thought it was strange that there was some doctors trying to do, trying to uh, offer epimectin, like different styles Mm -hmm. of medicine to help people. It was very shocking to see doctors get crucified in the media for trying all alternative methods when we were faced with disease like it's the doctor's job to use their knowledge their years of practice to prescribe us medication nobody ever bats an eye when someone's prescribed opiates but like when a doc when you go to co- when you go to a doctor for covid in the past you'll tell them there's your symptoms and it's like they have no medication they can give you. They're like, oh, it's COVID, there's no medicine. Like That's what would happen in the clinics I would go to, I would. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, there, because we, we wanna practice evidence-based medicine and there there still isn't a lot of evidence for ivermectin. Um, the monoclonal antibodies seem to work. And and remember when COVID first started, it was novel. We had no idea what, how, to, how to treat it. And we didn't understand why people were, you know, having multi-system organ failure and why the blood was so thick and all the things. And it took us some time to figure it out. And so I just think that when when confronted with alternative therapies, I think I think that there are alternative therapies that don't ins- don't involve prescriptions, right? So ivermectin is not an inert drug; it's still a drug. And so. One, one of the things that came out of China was vitamin C. And so, you know, people started taking more vitamin C and zinc, right? So, so I think that we have to really weigh the, the truth of treatment versus the evidence before we, before we decide whether, you know, doctors are, are doing the right thing or not. Before you reached your level of success, did you ever think about quitting? I did. I did. I tried to leave medicine several times. I, I re, you know, I, I, when I started the job that I'm in, that I was in, I'm not in it anymore, but um, it was hostile. And one thing that I did not understand as I was going through medical school, you know, because I made a lot of really great friends in medical school, was that as you become a professional, uh, there's a lot of jealousy among doctors and doctors become your worst enemies when you're, when you're a doctor. And so if you're making more money than the other person, or if you're you know, you're doing something different than other people. There's just the, the other the other people will do their best to tear you down. And when I first started, when I first opened my practice, there was one guy who was like the main guy there. And I met with him so just so I could meet him and, and talk to him. And he said, you'll never make a living here. And that was my introduction to surgical practice. So it was it was really hostile and it wasn't fun. And I got to a point where I was the busiest surgeon and I didn't have any help. And I, I just, I had had it. And so I took a break and went and did some locums for a while. And then I went back and, uh, you know, enjoyed a lot of success. Is it, is it like competitive? Like, yeah, doctors are super competitive with each other and, um, especially similar specialties. So yeah, it's super, super competitive. And even if, even if you're not in the same specialty, if you're in an adjacent specialty, say, say GI and, um, and surgery, uh, there's, there's a lot of jealousy. That's, that's my, you know, personal experience. I mean, that's anecdotal. Yeah. I mean, I, I never expected that because I would think you guys all have similar interests. Yeah, it's, there was a lot of competition for patients. Um, Yeah, a lot of, a lot of jealousy. So, yeah, I mean, it's just how, I mean, maybe that was unique to my place where I was working, but that was certainly my experience. How did you treat 
your burnout symptoms during your 16 years of residency? So it wasn't, I didn't have 16 years of residency. I had five years of residency and um, it was a 15 year kind of process from starting college, I think, um, four years of undergrad, four years of medical school. Uh, but I did actually six, I, I did I did six years of undergrad because I, did, I went to junior college. So that's why it's 15 and then uh, five years of residency. But, um, you know, I wasn't, I wouldn't say I was burned out after residency. I got burned out after working on my own and taking a lot of call for, you know, five, six, seven years. And the, 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 the way that, that when I was talking about the, the competition and the hostility really was hard for me. And I didn't have good communication skills back then. And so I didn't know how to process it. And what, when I took a break from it, I just, I, I just took some time. I mean, back, you know, before I went back to work as a surgeon, I took some time and then I went and did some locums and that helped my confidence because I was really good at the skill. And so when I went back to work at that hospital, I, I, I had a lot, a lot of confidence and, and that made it easier for me to, to grow my practice. But you know, I worked for 15 years as a surgeon, and when I stopped working in July of 2020, I I threw myself into my new business actually, and thinking that that by doing by you know just going into action, everything was going to be good. And what I really realized was that throughout the pandemic, it took me a couple years to understand what I really wanted to do and how I wanted to help people. And I initially started helping people in menopause because I thought that that was where there was a lot of need. And while there is need for help for women in menopause, I realized that it isn't about menopause, what I can do to help you. It's really about the opportunity to that menopause gives us for reinvention. And it doesn't even have to be menopause. I mean, anybody can reinvent at any time. It just has to do with uncovering the beliefs that are holding you back. I was watching some of your podcasts and you mentioned that uh, like when we hit puberty, we get we get this talk. You, I remember seeing that you were saying that we're, we get prepared for, to hit puberty and we get these books and we get the talk. But then when we hit the age of menopause, there's no talk like it's yeah. just okay deal with it yeah and and it's it's really i mean menopause is really a can be a really disruptive time for women and for some reason there's there's not a lot of discussion about it it might just be because of the way hollywood deals with aging women yeah. and magazines and whatnot you know you start to get wrinkles uh you may gain some weight uh start to feel maybe not so great about yourself and we don't want to talk about menopause. You know, we, nobody wants to admit that they're in menopause. And so it's what I like to say about menopause is that, you know, obviously in menopause, you're going to lose your hormones, right? That's just, that's what happens. And anyone who tells you you can balance your hormones in menopause is feeding you a line of bullshit. Mm -hmm. There is no possibility you can balance your hormones in menopause because you're going to lose them. And it infuriates me because it's just predatory marketing. So I uh, like to tell women that menopause is a natural rebalancing of hormones and you just kind of work, got to work through it and there are help, there's help for it. You can take some hormone replacement, but in reality, there is a, there is a natural rebalancing. And then, and then once you get through it uh, on the other side, when you're postmenopausal, it's really not that bad. I mean, you still get hot flashes sometimes and, you know, it depends on what you eat can, can make it easier to gain weight. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, menopause does not have to be disru that disruptive. What are some things, what are some ways women can regulate they're like get used to the changes happening in their bodies with menopause. So I think that the, the, the couple things you can do to, and this, this goes for anyone. It isn't, we eat a lot of foods that are disrupting to our hormones. And so I recommend that everyone get off of any seed oil. So the, there are, there are six of them that are, that are really bad. Corn, canola, co cotton seed, uh, soy, safflower, and sunflower. 
So if you can get off those oils, you're not, your, your hormones are going to be much more healthy because fat is the building block of hormones. So we start there. The other thing is, is refined sugar and refined carbs. When, when you're just feeding yourself, feeding your body, all of these refined carbs, your pancreas never gets a rest. And so then you can develop what's called insulin resistance. And that's why we have so much type two diabetes in our country. So those two lifestyle modifications can really affect you down the road and can make menopause a much easier time for you if you're young. And if you're in menopause and you stop those things, you're going to feel better. Those tips are great for um, like everybody, even men, because the sperm count dropping so much in the United States has to be contributed to these seed oils and these processed foods and yeah, I mean, America has a lot of things that are illegal, you know, in our food that are illegal everywhere else in the world. And I've seen, you know, again, anecdotal, but people who go to other countries eat exactly the same foods, you know, cocoa puffs and, you know, whatever they are, right? They, they eat the foods, off, the snack foods and things like that, and they lose weight because they have different chemicals in them. They're, a lot of the chemicals are not allowed. What? They lose weight eating the same way? Eating the same way, yeah. It's incredible. That's just how it is. You know, I mean, America, America, America's food policy. Remember, it's really important that 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 we wake up to the fact that America is the home of the corporation and the land of the prophet. So mm -hmm. it's not really the home of the free and the land of the brave. And it's not about, <clears throat> you know, pulling yourself up by the bootstraps or anything. It is truly about corporate profit more than anything else. The whole government is centered around corporate profit and corporate greed. And so when you can wake up to that and realize that, then you can realize that all the advertising that you're bombarded with every day is really just, it's, it's, it's designed to get you to consume. Yeah. And you're not going to be happier with more stuff. You're not going to be happier with more stuff. More stuff does not do anything for you. You know, what, what's ha what can make you happy is having a lot of money in the bank when you retire. And that, that comes from living below your means and saving. I think it's so true. And to bring that to the story, like when I, when I was little, because the thing is, as an adult, the way I see it is like, we're always like the same children. We just grow a bigger, like a bigger vocabulary. Like, yeah. So, but when I was younger, I used to had to, I used to have to go to my grandmother's house every Saturday when my parents would go to work and she only spoke Spanish. I don't speak Spanish. I speak broken Spanish, but so there was a language barrier and I'd be bored. But the times where I would bring all of my toys, like 25 different toys, I, it would be like too many options. Like I would I wouldn't even use them. I was overwhelmed by all the things I can do. But yeah. the times I brought like three toys, maybe two toys, I had the most entertaining time, like the best time. And like I learned very young that, yeah, having more isn't isn't better. Sometimes it's overwhelming. Yeah, that's great. That's a great insight. <laughs> the younger the younger you can be when you start to realize that the the better your life is going to be as you as you grow older. When did you start adopting the way you saw how corporate works? When did you start seeing like Yeah. These... I think that I think that that happened for me when I started realizing that insurance companies were out to not pay me as a doctor and that that even though I provided care to their in, enrolled, their insured uh, that was life-saving, they would deny the claim because they, that was just the standard thing was to just deny claims and trying to get paid um, became, I mean, I had like five people working uh, all, you know, full time just on denied claims. Wow. Yeah. It makes me have so much more empathy for my co-payments and like not missing them. But that you make me more grateful for the system that we do have. And like, I'm glad that we're having this conversation because a lot of us just take it for granted. America, I think that's our biggest problem here that we get, we have so much that we don't know how to pay homage to it. Like that's why I respect cultures that fast and go through sacrifice because yeah. it makes you realize how privileged, how lucky we are. Like a thousand years ago, we didn't have the stability and the level of medicine that we have now. So, Yeah, that's true. I, I think also, though, that, that when you look at every other developed country uh, in the world, 
they have universal health care. Mm-hmm. Every other developed country. And the reason why we don't is because of the insurance lobby. And if we could get rid of the insurance lobby and the for-profit insurance companies, we would have more than enough money to fund uh, you know, universal health care and, and still you know, pay doctors a decent salary. At least give you guys a scholarship. You're going to be healing <laughs> us. <laughs> so after you left your surgical practice, how did you begin to heal from burnout and find how you really wanted to serve your community? Yeah, so I, I, I threw myself into my work and I realized that, that I was doing work that wasn't fulfilling to me. And so I took some time off and did some traveling and I actually did some soul searching. And to tell you the truth, sometimes recovering from burnout feels like shit. It really does. I mean, I went, I drove my, I, have, I drive a Tesla and I took it across the country because I was tired of New York winters and I was done doing a New York winter. So last uh, February, I drove from New York to California and I just took this time to think about what I wanted in life and try and get an idea of what I wanted my life to look like. And then I did, uh, I did something with my online business and it just did not work. And I went into a depression. I tried to figure out like, what is going on? I just took a break from everything. And even like, even my self-care, like I wasn't exercising. I wasn't doing the things that I normally should do. And, and I, I spent a lot of time thinking about what it is I wanted in life and how I wanted my life to look. And, and that, that time between, say, uh, March and May is where I realized that I need a lot of freedom. I need to, I need to have a business that, that allows me to help people, but also gives me freedom to do things that, uh, that I like to do. And, and one of the things I've realized I really like to do is bake. And so I started baking sourdough bread and, and making desserts and, and things like that. And that's been, that's been a lot of fun just to have a creative outlet that doesn't have anything to do with my business. That's awesome. Sourdough bread is my favorite. It's hard. It's, it's, I mean, I haven't perfected it, but it's been good. So what is your, is launch your life, your current passion now? Besides- so, yeah, so I had a, you know, I've, I've been podcasting since uh, June of 2019. And the podcast was called Menopause Movement. And so there's a lot of menopause content in my podcast. But starting in January of this year, or maybe maybe a little bit later, maybe it was February or March, I can't remember. But we, we changed the focus of the podcast because I realized that what I'm super interested in is mindset, brain science, and how... And, and the process of change and how we can really get ourselves to do things that we want to do. Because if you know how you want to feel, but you're not able to get yourself to take the action. I mean, think about it. All the things that you want in your life, right? You think about it. You think about it. You think, I, I want to lose weight, but you don't exercise. I want to lose weight, but you're not eating the right food. I want to lose weight, but you know, you'd have pizza every night, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So that's just one, one example, but you know, or, or I want to have uh, a, a thriving business, but I'm not spending the time doing it. Or I want to declutter my house, but I'm not taking time to do it. And as I started to realize that this, this was what I really cared about, like helping people create effective change in their lives, effective lasting change in their lives. I went to uh, talking about launch your life because there is a lot of opportunity everywhere throughout your life that you can reinvent yourself. And as I started looking at my own history, I saw that I have been reinventing myself over and over and over since I was probably about five years old and seeing how my brain protected me and made it so that I could uh, look at life from a different perspective. And as I started to realize that it was like, oh, well, this is, this is perfect. And so we changed the name of the podcast. We started talking about mindset and then, uh, about five weeks ago, I embarked on a memoir series. And so now I'm just telling stories right now of, of my life. And the reason I'm doing that is because I wrote a memoir in 2018, 2019, something like that. And I just left it. I never did anything with it. I just wrote it. And so now I was like, oh, well, I can do it on the podcast and people can get to know me and can kind of understand some of the struggles I went through and you know, that I'm just as human as everybody else. And so uh, it's been really interesting and it's been, it's been enlightening for me. And I think for some of my listeners. 
Oh yeah, I'm a personal fan of your memoir series, and I can't wait to listen to more of it. And you guys, you Matrix members, you have to check out this memoir series. It's like putting on a VR set without the VR set. Like it's so descriptive. You could, it's like you're right there with Dr. Gordon, and and it's inspiring to all the things that you managed to to pull strength from. And like that you really seem like an unstoppable person because it's not that your life is perfect, but it's the fact that you have the resilience and the the strength to bounce back. And I pay homage to you and oh, and I honor you. your story. Thank you for being generous with your personal history. Yeah. So if, if you're going to go back and go to uh, look at the Launch Your Life podcast and want to just do the memoir series, start with episode 161. If you haven't heard about Anchor by Spotify, it's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all in one place. Let me explain. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast on listening platforms like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, Anchor is totally free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. So how can we know the difference between burnout or needing a lifestyle change? Um, I don't, I don't know that there is, I think that if you're burned out, you need a lifestyle change. I, I don't think that there's a huge distinction between them um, because, you know, you can get burnout from just from work, from having a shitty boss or, um, or from just, you know, working all the time and never taking a break. I mean, that's that's one way to develop burnout. But another way is to not sit with yourself enough, not, you know, really get to know your thoughts and how you talk to yourself and understand that the way you talk to yourself is probably causing a lot of your emotions. And so I would say that if, if, if you're feeling, you know, overwhelmed or you're feeling burned out that the first thing that to do is a is to look at your at your habits in your life and see what kind of habits you want to change decide where you want to go and then start small start small and decide whether well this is right is this going to take me closer to my goal or not and then do the thing that will i think a key thing you said is like defining a goal right yeah i mean here's the thing about goals goals can feel really um, they can feel really out there, right? Like, like, you know, I want to make a million dollars. Okay, great. You know, but I'm only making 30,000 a year right now. So how do I go? You know, that's like a, that's more than, that's more than a, what is that? Like that's 30 X plus, right? Mm -hmm. And so how do I go 10 X or one X, you know, how do I double my income? So we, we've got to start with realistic things and, and it's not that you don't want a big, hairy, audacious goal because you do, because a strong vision is going to pull you forward. You want to have a really strong vision, but you've got to get the things that are realistic that you can control, right? So what can I control right now? I can control my thoughts. I can control, you know, how I'm feeling. I, you know, there's, there's a, you know, I can control whether I move my body. I control, control what I put in my mouth. And so when you start to realize that and, and, and start to understand that the only thing you truly have control over in your life is your reactions to things then you can start to say okay well this is how i want to react to this and this is how i want to react to that and i'll i'll tell you um i used to think that i was fat all the time now you know i still have body dysmorphia i still look in the mirror and think i'm fat i'm not going to say that that didn't that that stopped but what i did was i would look in the mirror and every time i looked in the mirror i said i hate you i hate this body i hate you and i sat with that and I thought if I had a kid and I told my kid I hated them would they be motivated to take action to change the way they looked and of course the answer was no and so I said well how can I get myself to take action to like my body more and rather than just like gaslighting myself into saying I love myself right so what I did was I said Every time I look in the mirror, I'm going to say, even though my, my mind might say, I hate you, I'm going to change that to I love you. 
And then I'm going to make sure that I take an action every day that's going to take me closer to taking care of my body. And that worked. That was at the end of 2018. And um, by 2019, 2020, you know, I was running five, six miles a day and, you know, started to feel a lot better about myself. Incredible. That's a lot of stamina. (laughs) I love what you said about like, like comparing it to if you were talking to a child um that was something that I had to do and and I love how it comes back to like the inner child that we that we always have that inner child within us and when I was healing after my mom passed away of course a lot of things surface you you have memories and you start to look at things a different way and I realized like I was speaking to myself the way she used to speak to me but then now that her voice isn't there, I was able to actually make adjustments and change my tonality and change, accept that I could heal from certain memories that used to weigh me down. And yeah, like, well, I mean, every one of us has a has a child in us. Right. And and one thing that we forget. Right. So if let's say like me you you were the you know you you were the sexual object of somebody as a child and if you want to know more about that go and listen to my podcast i talk a lot about it but if you've decided that you're just going to be a victim right and that 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 this event happened to you and it is you know because of this thing you know all these things are fucked up in your life right hope i can say that that's <laughs> okay um then what's happening is you're letting a child run your life. And if you want that, if you want to, you know, think like a six-year-old or seven-year-old or 10-year-old for the rest of your life, that's great. Go ahead. But as an adult, you have the opportunity to go back and parent that child and actually talk to that child about how they can forgive. And when they forgive, they get free. Forgiveness isn't for them. It's for you. Because when you forgive, they don't have power over you anymore. Do you, do you think on some level forgiveness is conscious? Oh, I think it starts consciously. Yeah. And then you have to work work into subconscious. Yeah. Forgiveness is like a, is, is really layered. It's multi-layered. Yeah. Because, you know, there's things in my life like I want to just forgive. Like consciously, I'm like, I want to let it go. I don't want to react to it. I don't want it to touch me. And I think the more that I tell myself it's okay, I could let it go. Like one centimeter, I like let go a little bit yeah but it's so easy to fall right back down the ladder like the reason for that is because your brain is brain wants to think the same way all the time and so you have to give it a pattern interrupt and you have to pick a trigger kind of like what i did was with the mirror right because i was i just had this thing from my childhood I, i hate you i hate you i hate you and i had to make a trigger like every time i look in the mirror i have to say this to myself and so we can change our thoughts, but you've got to remember that we've got grand canyons of thought in our mind. And the only way to change it is to create a pattern interrupt. But you also have to be really, really gentle with yourself when you don't do it. Because if you're saying, oh, damn it, I, I suck. I can't, do, you know, then you're not going to not going to get it done. And so it's really important that you are forgiving to yourself first. The brain's job is to think and it's just going to think over and over and over. And, you know, you think about it. We have at least 60,000 thoughts a day and 90% of them are untrue, unhelpful and, you know, bad. So we get, we have to, we have to think, we have to find a way to kind of steer our thoughts into the positive. Do you see yourself as a coach? I'm a coach. Yeah. Do you have a, do you have practice for clients right now? I do. I do. I have, it's called Launch Your Life. Oh, so Launch Your Life coaching program. Is, so is, can our listeners, like if they would like to work with you personally, they can find you through Launch Your Life? And um, Yeah, so you can go to discover.drgordon.me and there's a little questionnaire you can fill out there and um, I'll, I'll read it and then we can have a chat afterwards. Oh, that's so special. Yeah, yeah just put in your, you know, you put in your email address, then I can, uh, we can work out a time to talk. I love that. Yeah. What do you advise for those who feel stuck doing something they hate doing? Um, wow. Uh, I, I think that 
important what's important for this is to really get a get an, a clear understanding of what you don't want so that you can get a clear understanding of what it is you do want. And so when you decide what you want your life to look like, when you are actually able to sit down and think, I want my life to be like this, and then you can start to take inspired action toward it. Um, but I, I, in my experience, the best way to get this done is to hire a coach. And I've had amazing coaches in my life. I've had shitty coaches in my life, but all of them have taken me closer to my goal. I love that. When did you start incorporating coaches into your life? First time I hired a coach, it was 2010, maybe, yeah, it's 2010, maybe 2011. So do you, do you go, do you stick with one coach for a long time? How does that work? Well, the first coaching that I hired was a 20 week coaching program and it helped me decide like how I wanted my business to look. And it wasn't business coaching, it was life coaching, but it made me, um, it made me want to really Get, it may help me get clear on the fact that I was working for a corporation and I hated every minute of it and I would be okay going back to work for myself. And it gave me the, the, the impetus to reopen my practice after I'd closed it for a while and gone to work in locums and then I took a job. And I reopened my practice uh, in 2012 actually and I made more money than I'd made in my whole life. That's awesome. I love that. That's, that's yeah. a great testimony. And was there, that's when I was able to grow the practice. Between 2012 and 2018, I grew it up to five surgeons. So there's a lot of value in getting a little bit of help. Oh, yeah. Without question. How can we take steps to break free from past or current expectations from those around us? Well, you know, I think expectations are such, it, it, it's such a trap, expectations. <laughs> because expectations... Um, are where suffering starts. So suffering comes from unmet expectations. And so it's really important to check your expectations. Now, that's not to say that we can't be responsible for the people we're responsible for. Like if you have children, you got to take care of your children. I mean, it's expected, right? So there are societal expectations that are important. But when you really understand that the only person that can make you happy is you, and you get happy from uh, looking inside and finding the things inside. And trust me, it's not money. Now, you, you know, you got to get a certain amount of money to start to feel happy. But then after a while, more things doesn't make a difference. More money doesn't make a difference. It really is about finding your purpose from within. And you can actually see how how this happened with Oprah. So if you look back, I mean, some of you are are probably too young to remember when Oprah got started. But, you know, Oprah got started as a, she was an anchor on a Chicago news station I think she got fired from that and then she then she started her talk show and you know she was able to grow her influence and make a lot of money but you can see that she started just talking to people and then she started talking to Dr. Phil and then she started talking to thought leaders in the spiritual space like Eckhart Tolle and people like that and and what I think is so interesting about that is that as you get your basic needs met you start to have the opportunity for self-actualization and you start to look for a greater purpose and a greater meaning. And when you do that, you can start to examine the, the thought patterns, the beliefs, everything that has welled up from your childhood. Remember that every limit you have in your life is in your mind. And the sooner you start to understand this, the sooner you can break free and create the life of your dreams. I love that you brought that up and that's something that I talk about a lot with my friends and family where we have to get out of the survival mode like doesn't know life outside of anxiety and impending doom but they don't know better they had that impending doom their whole life I was the one privileged to not experience that I got to see the shadows on their walls and not really feel the heat of their flame and it's hard because I have to like be have gratitude at first I used to get frustrated I'm like why do you guys act like that but now I'm like you know I have gratitude like well thanks for sacrificing all that for us to live a different life but then I pray for her healing I pray for my family's healing Ecock Tolly and into it because he talks yeah. about this in the on in the new earth book that he wrote and it's that that we inherit these roles and we kind of forget about our identity and we, in, we adopt society's identity. And then life changes, I'll have to find myself again. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think that, and that's that's another you know reason why I I started talking about menopause because, you know, we have this opportunity in menopause to really look at our identity, like who am I now? My kids are gone. Uh, maybe my marriage broke up. Maybe or maybe my marriage is stronger. But you know, who am I now? And so it's just a it's a really good opportunity to reinvent yourself or to relaunch your life. What's some advice you can give someone like? Who is striving to satisfy a parental view and dedicated、oh. years to it, and then now they want to change their mind, find passion? Well, I mean, I I think that my story is really a testament to that, right? I realized that I became a doctor because it was something my mom wanted, because、uh, my my five year old self wanted to please my mom, and at the end of the day, while I made a lot of money, it wasn't very fulfilling. So I think that. It's really important. Usually, once you find your purpose and your passion, the money follows. And so, it's it's so important to feel aligned and to feel like you're really living in alignment with what your true calling is. And it might feel real shitty for a while, not knowing what that is,、um, and and trying to find your purpose. And you know, I read an exercise once, like "What is my purpose?" and and you just write down things until you cry. I never cried, right? So like. You know what? What do I? I think one of the ways to find your purpose is to think about things that just come really, really easily to you, things you that you take advantage of, and but people come and get help from you for. And that's one place to really start to take a look at what what your strengths are and how you can double down on those. Oh, that's fantastic, clear advice, and I love it. It aligns with what I'm doing now with the podcast because in the beginning I was like. I don't want to go to college. I feel like if I dedicate the amount of time, effort, and energy that I would be doing reports and talking to professors, I was like, but when I do a report, only my professor sees it. It's not going to get published. I was like, there has to be something else to do. So I started writing my own reports, putting them on my blog, and I started podcasting because I want to talk to inspiring professionals like you that I can directly learn from, and because I always love talking and. Of course, it was difficult to think. Well, how am I going to get paid to talk? Like, how am I going to sustain myself? But you're right. Like, once you find your passion, the money follows, and and it is frustrating because it takes a long time. But like, but the important thing is that like、uh, what you said, the personal expertise and like feeling confident, and then knowing that the little thing that you're doing helps someone somewhere. Yeah. So just remember that. Yeah, I think other than professional. Roles that require certification, like、uh, doctoring and lawyering and things like that. Almost any other knowledge is available to you for free, for free on the internet. And there's, there's, the only reason why college I think is is important is because it takes you along a path where you have accountability, and you can you can probably do a lot of the same stuff with a with a qualified coach who can keep you on track. And so it's. It's really, I mean, especially for young people now. If you want to learn how to code, you can just go to Google School, and it's free or maybe low cost, and you can just start to learn how to code, and then you can go and make a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. So there's there's really, I don't think any reason for college unless you want to do a profession like doctoring or lawyering or physical therapy, something in the healthcare field, something in the you know professional field like that. But other, I don't, I don't think you really need it anymore. We're in the age of the creative being right now. It's incredible. This is a this is a great time for people to have opportunity to adapt to the technology coming, because、yeah. since the industrial revolution, people were like, "These robots taking our jobs," but there's a lot of free resources out there. We don't have to be stuck. Well, I think it's important to remember that the the reason why we have the education system the way it is is to teach us to follow bells. Because that、uh, that's the way they wanted people to be able to work in a factory,、mm. and so the 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 education system that we have in place in our country is designed to make create factory workers. It's not designed to create independent thinkers.、Mm-hmm. And so if you, you want to be an independent thinker, you want to really start to question everything that anyone ever told you, <laughs> because it's just a truth. It's not the truth. Right. Dr. Gordon, we're ready for some rapid fire. Right on. What's your biggest failure, and what did you learn from that experience? 
Oh man, I invested in a startup. Um, too much money into a startup. And what I learned was uh, to rely on financial advisors when it comes to investing. That's great advice. I wish I did the same. What star sign are you? I was born October 25th, 1964. I am a Scorpio. Yeah, water tribe. I'm a Pisces. What is a common myth about your job or field of expertise? So um, I can talk about medicine first. Um, so my former career, and that is that um, I think I think the commonest myth is that doctors are like know-it-alls or are arrogant. And I think a lot of us really just want to help you. Mm. And um, what's happened with the cheapening of the doctor name and um, the consumerism side of it is that we've really lost our autonomy. And doctors as a whole just, just want to get you better. That's, that's really our intent. But it's not our fault that we're taught sick care because it's designed that way. It's designed to teach sick care and not well, well care, healthy, to make you more healthy. It starts in medical school. And I think the common myth about about coaching, especially life coaches, is that um, a lot of you know life coaches don't really know what they're doing, or that they're it's it's like bullshit, right? And I've had therapy, and I've had life coaches, and I paid I paid therapists a lot of money, and I've made much greater strides in my life when I had somebody who was pointing out where my beliefs were holding me back. And that's what a life coach can do for you. So Dr. Gordon, can you tell us more about the services you offer now and how our audience, I know you briefly mentioned discover.me. Discover.drgordon.me. Yeah, that's my, that's, that's how you can kind of, you can fill out, it's a questionnaire and then um, that's how you can get in the pipeline to work with me. Um, I offer a quarterly, uh, it's called Launch Your Life and it's, it's a quarterly thing where uh, we, we figure out what we want to get done that quarter and then we break it down into monthly goals and weekly goals and daily accountability. And then we meet once a week to talk about it and to work on our mindset. So that's one, one aspect that I offer. And then I have a, a kind of a launch your life self course that's an eight week cohort. And that is really getting down to your relationship with yourself and how to make it the best relationship in your life. And then what, what does that look like? And how, how, how are you gonna impact the world and, and what kind of legacy you wanna leave? Thank you so much, Dr. Gordon. And to our listeners here, you know you're gonna be in good hands working with Dr. Gordon. She's gonna provide you the tools to build the confidence to see your vision. And I personally, I'm personally curious about it. Well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Gordon, and I would look forward to possibly working with you again in the future. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. It's an absolute pleasure. <laughs>